Well, welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we add a postscript to our Advent series on this last Sunday of 2017. The title of our series is Jesus is Better, and we've been working through select texts, declaring that Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is a better mediator of a better covenant. Jesus is a better sacrifice. Last week, Jesus is a better glory. And this week, as a postscript, a final point is Jesus brings a better time. Jesus, a better time. That is the title of our message this morning. And we're preaching it out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, please. One of my favorite things to do at this time of year is to watch the top 10 and bottom 10 highlights of sporting events. And they're hilarious. So you imagine the very most spectacular plays of 2017 and the absolute worst plays of 2017. And it's great because the contrast is beautiful. The juxtapositioning of great athletic endeavors and absolutely horrible things that happen on the playing field, which I identify with those better. I'm that guy. One that I love is this guy's trying to get a, a fly ball right by the, the wall and it hits off his head into the stands for a home run. I mean, those are, those are great ones, okay? As you replay the highlights and lowlights of your life in 2017, what do you think of right now? What makes the top 10 list of 2017 and the bottom 10 list this year that cause you to cringe? Whatever it is, however you evaluate your time during 2017, as you look into the future, into 2018, God's word in Ecclesiastes teaches us that whether happy or sad, good or bad, Jesus brings a better time. Ecclesiastes, which if you're having a hard time finding it, it's right after Proverbs. Kind of go to the middle of your Bible and make a right-hand turn. Ecclesiastes is part of what is called wisdom literature. As a matter of fact, next week we're going to begin a six-month series on the book of Psalms, which is also wisdom literature. Proverbs is wisdom literature. And what wisdom literature does for us is it teaches us how to live as God's people, particularly in those areas that aren't covered by a specific biblical law or commandment. I mean, we know the Bible says don't commit fornication or adultery. That we got, okay. But what about relationships in general? What, how do I relate to others? Stuff like that. What do I do as a vocation? How do I spend my money? How do, I, how do I invest my time? It's things like that. How we live as God's image bearers. So God saves us from living for our glory so that we might live for His glory. He takes our broken image of God because of sin. He restores it and beautifies it in Christ and gives us a new heart that we might now reflect His glory, display His glory as His image bearers. Christ being the perfect image bearer. Now in Christ, we're being conformed to Him that we might bear His image. What does that look like nine to five? What does that look like where I work, where I live, where I play, where I go to school? How does that look in my marriage? How does that look in my singlehood? How does that look in my parenting? How does that look in my career choices? That's what wisdom literature does for us. It's beautiful. 
Next week we'll get into that in the Psalms. But this week we have Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 15. And so what I'm praying is that Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 15 will enable you to properly analyze 2017 as you click on that highlight reel of your highlights of 2017 and then you look at your lowlights for 2017. How do you interpret that? This text is going to help us. It's going to help us then as we look into 2018 to make those plans that Dexter talked about. Make those resolutions. That they would be focused on God and not just ourselves or others. So let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Are you there? Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 15. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. And that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Wisdom literature is poetic. It's wonderful, isn't it? Sometimes a little hard to understand. And that's our privilege as pastors and teachers that we're going to be teaching from wisdom literature. But there's wisdom here. This text gives us wisdom to understand the purpose of time from God's perspective. I want you to note something. In my Bible, verses 1 to 8 are separated from verses 9 to 15. Because verses 1 to 8 talk about the purposes of time, the different seasons that we go through. Good, bad, happy, sad, war, peace, love, hate, gather, lose. And verses 9 to 15 interpret verses 1 to 8. See, what what verses 1 to 8 teach us is that God's timing may not be our timing. We love the time to dance, especially at this church. At our community group Christmas party, man, we did some dancing. You might be surprised that I can dance. Not well, but I can dance. But the time of mourning is a little tough, isn't it? We're not attracted to that time. 
But God's timing is best and it's all under his hand. He is sovereign over all. Now, how do we know that God's timing is best? Because in the fullness of time, church, God sent his son. God, the triune God, eternally triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God the Son, second person of the Trinity, sent by God the Father to die for our sins, to redeem us, to make us beautiful, to to restore the image of God. We know that God's timing is best because He chose that time. And here's the purpose of time on the screen. God's purpose in time is to conform us to the image of Christ, our Lord. God's purpose in time is to conform us into the image of Christ, our Lord. This is what God has done in all eternity. You see in verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. We know there's something more. And from the foundations of the earth, before time, Jesus was crucified. He was slain. The lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. God has put eternity in our hearts. And his purpose for time is to conform us into the image of Christ, back into the image bearers that we might display his glory as he first intended. So that we would fear him, yes. The beginning of knowledge is the fear of God. But here's here's what it means. So that we would value what is truly valuable. That is the battle, isn't it? What do I really value? For whom do I really live? The one who is honorable. Do I honor truly the one who is honorable? Or do I honor other things and people that aren't honorable? That's the battle that we all face ongoingly. And Jesus came as the second person of at the appropriate time. And that's the main point of Ecclesiastes. That our times, good or bad, happy or sad, are in God's hands to conform us to the image of Christ who came to bring a better time. Listen, whatever you're going through, there's a better time for you. It's an eternal time. It's a time that Christ promises you. That's good news. It's good news. So let's look at point one. Let's talk about God's timing being perfect. Let's take a look at verses one to eight. There is a time for everything according to verse one. God's creation. And there's there's a time that God has ordained that is perfect in this fallen and often complex world. Though God's timing is perfect, it's not always our preference. God's timing is not always our timing. And when that happens, we have one of two decisions to make. Either we accept God's timing, submit to God's timing, and believe that it is the best timing, understand that time is for the purpose of conforming us into the image of Christ. Or we resist God's timing. We complain and say, this is the worst timing ever. This is not a good time, God, to lose my job. This is not a good time for that diagnosis. This is not a good time for this conflict. Oh, but friends, it is God's perfect timing. And you will get through it. And God will bless you. And God will help you. Because what God is doing as he is conforming you, Christian, into the image of Christ. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, first of all, thank you for coming. 
But it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that is at the center of this text, as it is of all texts. And I pray that you would hear the gospel. I pray that you would ask a question. What does it mean that God, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, came at the perfect time to redeem me? What does that mean, Al? Oh, friend, listen. Listen further. And afterward, we'd love to speak with you. And perhaps you can speak with those who brought you this morning. But the text tells us that there are seasons and times of God's hand that come to bring us into conformity into Christ. Look at verses 2 to 3. There's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. There's a time to plant, and there's a time to pluck up what is planted. There's a time to kill, and a time to heal. There's a time to break down, and a time to build up. Listen, some of us in this church this year have experienced a time to be born and a time to die. I mean, the penal household. Olivia was born January the 8th of this year. My eighth grandchild. And in March, Desi's dad, Ralph City, died in Phoenix, Arizona. And in April, my mom, Teresa Pino, died right here in Miami. The time to be born is a time to die. All of it in God's perfect timing. There's a time to pluck up and a time to plant. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to break down and a time to build up. There are those of us who have experienced the miracle of life and the heartbreak of death. Each in God's timing was perfect. There are those of us who experienced the joy of planting a new venture, perhaps a new career or a new business or a new relationship. And others of us have experienced the death of a dream, a venture, a career, a business or a relationship. God, he sees your tears when you're on that end of the spectrum. But it's in God's perfect timing, though we can't understand it. Look at verses 4 to 7a. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow. This is pretty complex language. Some of it is hard to understand. Some would say that that whole thing about stones is sometimes when a land is conquered by an army, a foreign army, they would actually put stones in the field so that they couldn't plant the crops. And then when liberation comes, you remove the stones to plant the crops. And obviously, if you don't plant crops, you don't need you to die. The whole tearing and sowing, typically when people would mourn at a funeral, they would tear their garments. So it goes with the mourning part. And then afterwards, obviously they weren't rich. They didn't have the ability to go online or go to a store and buy new garments. After the time of mourning, they would sew the garments back together. There's a time for everything. There are those of us who experience the sadness of weeping and the joy of laughter, the mourning of a funeral and the dancing of a celebration. We have cast away and we've gathered. We've embraced and we've refrained from embracing. We have sought and found and we have lost. We have seen friendships torn away and conflicts resolved. And we've entered into some new conflicts. It's all in God's perfect timing. And verses 7b to 8. There's a time to keep silence. (laughs) That one's hard for me. And a time to speak. There's a time to love and a time to hate. There's a time for war and a time for peace. Friends, all of us have felt the need to say something and other times to suffer in silence. We have heeded God's call to love our neighbor 
and felt the righteous anger that is appropriate under certain circumstances. There's a time for war and a time for peace. We pray for the ultimate peace with God that is possible only in Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a a wonderful summary of these, these words is this. The God of all grace will hold your time and does hold your time in His hands. And He will time all things as He knows best. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the God of all grace will time all things as He knows best for you? That's a tough one, man. Especially when I don't get what I want. Or when I get what I don't want. Both end. And the reason for that, the reason I can say that, the reason that's true, is because of what God did in Christ. What we read in Galatians 4, 4 to 5, on the screen. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Oh, the good news, church, is that that time came when God sent His Son to redeem us, to restore us, to actually adopt us as His sons and daughters. Which leads to point two. The time is now to image Christ our Lord. The time is now to image Christ our Lord. God is sovereign, church. He's sovereign over all, dear friends. He orders the affairs of man and he orders your affairs. Dear believer, for his glory and our good. And dear unbeliever, he orders your affairs as well for his glory. But I appeal to you to repent and believe for it will bring great glory to God when the wicked are judged. But there's hope for the wicked. I think of myself as the chief of sinners. That Christ came to redeem me and make me his son, the son of Almighty God. Though I deserve the wrath of God, I receive the favor and blessing of God because of Jesus. That's what helps me interpret the bad times in my life. The mournful times. The confusing times. The disorienting times. You see, Romans 5, 6 speaks of God beautifying those who are marked and scarred and disfigured by sin. Romans 5, 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Dear unbeliever, this this is for you. This is the scripture I want you to understand. Jesus died for the sins of His people. Jesus died for the ungodly. And that is at the heart of the gospel. And that's what we need to believe and repent and trust in Christ because we are wicked and He is righteous and God makes a way for us to come to Him because at the right time, Jesus died for the wicked, for those who didn't deserve it, for those who even didn't want it. That He might restore us. Your times are in God's hands. The very hands that bled and died for you. That's what helps when you experience things that you don't want to experience. And I'm sorry for you experiencing those things. But it's those hands that hold your time. They bled and died for you. No one suffered like Jesus suffered. And because He bled and died for us, 
He promises to then conform us into the image of God. Here we come to the main point of the text. That time is defined and time is here. And God's purpose in time is to conform us into the image of Christ. Look at Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. This, I think Paul was looking back at Ecclesiastes. It's this direction to look back. He was looking back at Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 15. He was a Jew. He understood wisdom literature. He understood that this was fulfilling that. That Jesus coming was fulfilling what God said in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 15. Hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. For those who are called according to his purpose. This is speaking of God's sovereignty and salvation. That he would call us. as His effectual calling. That you're just walking around not really understanding about God or sin or your condition or even eternity. It's kind of in your heart but it's kind of masked by sin and confusion. And suddenly when God calls you, he opens your eyes. And he says, you're mine. You need to repent. He gives us the grace to repent and then believe in Jesus. And the foolishness of the cross suddenly becomes the wisdom of God. And the shame of the cross of a man hanging on a cross, dying in agony for six hours, suddenly becomes the glory of God. And you repent and believe. That's what he's talking about here. For those whom he called according to his purpose. And what is that purpose? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined. This is that mystery of before the foundation of the world, Christ was crucified. Before the foundation of the world, God chose us. Ephesians 1. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Here's the point. To be conformed to the image of his son. That's Jesus. In order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Christian, this is the purpose of time. To be conformed to the image of Christ. Such conformity even rejoices in sufferings. Knowing that all the moments of our lives work together for God's glory and our good. As a 61-year-old man who had just had a procedure last week that everybody said I had to have. And I gladly had, though didn't want to have. And to hear that I'm okay. It's funny, the night before the procedure, I had to go through all this stuff and special diet and did not sleep well that night. You know, for the first time in a long time, kind of dark thoughts drifted across my my thinking. I'm an optimist. I'm the guy who says, yeah, we can take the hill. Let's go take the hill. Halfway up the hill, I think... What, do we have enough to take this hill? You know, that's me, okay? So I typically am not this brooding, internal, you know, guy who thinks about all the details, but I was. And I just thought, you know what? My life has purpose because of God's call. Because of, of the call to be conformed into the image of Christ. I thought of, of friends that I have that have passed. I thought of friends that I have right now that are struggling with serious sickness. And there was hope because of this text. Hope because of Christ coming to die for my sins. Rising from the dead and promising me glory that will never, ever, ever go away. Glory in God. So during those times of mourning, I think that the Bible says that in heaven there's no more tears. They get dried away. 
In the times of confusion, I understand that one day I will know Christ as I am fully known because I will see Him face to face and suddenly it will all make sense what I couldn't understand on this side of heaven. Like our children often cannot understand when we say no to 24 hours of candy seven days a week. But when they get older and they still have their teeth, I suddenly will understand. But I trust the one who died for me and rose from the dead. That's what causes it all to make sense. See, there was a time for Jesus to be born and a time for Jesus to die. We just celebrated the time of his birth. Traditionally, Easter, we celebrate the time of his death, but we celebrate this every day, Christians. There was a time for him to be born. Praise God. And there was a time for him to die. Praise God. There was a time for mourning and weeping. They mourned at Jesus' death. His mother was there watching the whole thing. Moms, imagine watching your son go through that. There was a time for Mary to rejoice when she had baby Jesus and she heard the shepherds and what they said. This is the Savior. This is Messiah. And as a Jewish woman, she probably was a teenager, probably in her early teens. She kind of understood some of it. But 33 years later, she watched that promised one die, rejected, crucified, mocked, spit upon in agony. But oh, she was there when he rose from the dead. That's what help, what gives us strength when our knees are wobbly and we just want to quit. Jesus, he's for us. He holds our times in his nail-scarred hands. There's a time to lose. Paul says, I count everything as loss for the great value of knowing Christ, my Lord. That's what's truly valuable. All this other stuff that I care a lot about, good stuff that I will give my life for, that I will argue for, and sometimes compromise for. No, no, no. I count it all as loss for the knowledge, for the value of knowing Christ and suffering with Him and knowing His glory forever and ever and ever. There's a time to cast off the old, the flesh, and to put on the new, the new creation in Christ. It's a time to be silent and no longer complain about life's problems and confusions, and disorientation. And there's a time to speak forth the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ for all to hear. There's a time to love God, and there's a time to hate sin. There's a time to make war on the flesh and the enemy of our souls. And there's a time to enjoy peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord and proclaim the peace that will always last, that no one can take away, which is Christ. Glory be to God in the highest church. And on earth, peace among men. So what's the purpose of your time? It's the question for you to consider. Here's the answer. It is that you might be conformed into the image of God, into the image of Christ, who's the perfect reflection of God, by the sacrifice of Christ Jesus, God the Son. He promises us that all of our times will work together for His glory and our good, because we are called by His sovereign grace. Jesus came to secure for us time eternal, His very glory. Amen. Let us pray. Worship team, please join me. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, as Dexter prayed early on, those things that are eternal. Lord, we suffer, and it's real suffering, and it really hurts. 
We are confused and it's real confusion. And we're really disoriented. We experience loss and it's real loss and real grief. But Lord, may we see those things through the prism of your eternal glory, of Christ dying on the cross for us, of Christ rising from the dead for our forgiveness, of Christ ascending into heaven and pouring out his spirit along with the Father to give us life and light and a promise and sealing us for the courts above where every tear will be wiped away, where joy will be eternal. Lord, give us Faith, we believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, would you gently comfort the grieving heart this morning? Would you orient the disoriented mind? Would you lift the soul of the depressed and the discouraged? May thy kingdom come, Lord Jesus. Thy will be done. For we, we say, all hail to you, Lord of all, Lord of time, the Lord of my time. I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels, let each one of us prostrate fall. Lord, we rejoice in your name. Your name. That is our strength. That is our comfort. That is our hope. Jesus, in you. Amen. Let us stand. Let us seal this time and this message by singing all hail to things Jesus.